Poddo. Welcome to A Pod Too Far, where we relive Sunday afternoons spent watching old war movies on TV. No green screens, no surround sound, and, frankly, nothing else on. I'm Rob Hutton, and people call me the human fly. I'm joined by the best man with a knife I've ever met, Duncan Weldon. They call him the Butcher of Barcelona. Today, we're on a mission of certain death, the only hope to save 2,000 soldiers from an advancing Nazi horde. Yes, it's the Guns of Navarone, or, as I was convinced it was called in the early 80s, the Guns of Navarone. Well, yeah, but it's, it's a hard one to pronounce. I think, I, I think this is because... And who is to say, who is to say how you're supposed to pronounce fictional islands? I think this is because I watched Force 10 from Navarone first, because that was what the BBC showed, and then I went to the school library, which, being that kind of school library, had the book of the guns of Navarone, and I looked at it, eight, nine, ten-year-old me, and I thought, Navarone, the guns yeah, of Navarone. So it's always been Navarone to me. What is it to you, Duncan? It's an action movie. It's a it's an action movie and it's a fun action movie. And this is fundamentally an action movie, not a war movie. We can talk yep. about it. It's fundamentally an action movie that happens to be set in the Second World War. But it's that wonderful thing. It's, it's a 1960s action movie, which means you can watch it as a child in the 1980s or the 1990s. And that's fine. Whereas, you know, a 1980s action movie is going to be rated 15 or 18 and have much more bloodshed and much more swearing and you can't watch. So it's, it's, a, it's a child-friendly action movie. Yes, I think it may even have had a U rating. They 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 edited out uh, Richard Harris saying bloody to get it a U rating in the cinema. <laughs> so <laughs> the nineteen sixties, a more innocent time. So it's a. I was going to say it's a commando movie, and yeah. it slightly invents the genre of commando movies. There is a theory we we talked previously about Dan Busters and Star Wars: A New Hope. There is a theory that Rogue One is basically the guns of Navarone. I've not heard that theory, and I can absolutely see that. You've got, yeah, you've this team of individuals, all with their own specialist skills, on this sort of do-or-die, daring mission. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and it, it is, and, and, do, and die is important. This is a mission, one of the contracts of this kind of film is that not all of the actors are going to, are going to yeah. make it out. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I think half of, half of the team is yeah. killed yeah. on this one. But. And, and they get their big cinematic deaths. Which you, you can mourn for a moment, then you move on to the next action scene. And it's the idea of a war film as being about a small team rather than, say, you know, The Longest Day, yeah. which is about an actual incident in the war, about, about D-Day, is a vast ensemble cast, whereas this is this, is this idea, which actually is a, is a slightly a World War II idea of we will send in a small group of men and they will uh, make the difference, which is narratively much more satisfying. Oh, absolutely. But, but even then, though, as a film, despite it being a much, you know, about a much tighter team, that's not a huge amount of character development at all. You know, I mean, this is a series of... You, you almost get the impression, and I know there was a novel beforehand, but when it came to make the film, you almost get the impression, you know, the storyboard starts with, here are the action scenes we want, and then we write the script around how do we move from this action scene to, 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 to this Well, scene. I, I wouldn't be shocked to learn that that's how, that's how Alistair MacLean wrote it, to be honest. So Alistair <laughs> MacLean, who's sort of disappeared from bookshops now, but I feel like, again, in the 1980s, well, if you big, were in a library, writer, yeah. Yeah. you know, um, there were Alistair MacLean books. Alistair MacLean is in the category of hugely successful authors who go on about how much they hate writing books, which, as 
Duncan and I are not terribly successful authors who love writing <laughs> books. These are the worst people. Frederick Forsyth is another one. It's like you're writing the day of the jackal. <laughs> you know, everybody loves it. Yeah. Stop complaining. They, they all seem to have given an interview at some point where they said, oh, well, I only wrote this because I had a tax bill. And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> Bastards. Uh, <laughs> but yes, it's, it's, so Alistair McLean, he was in the Navy mm-hmm. um, uh, during the war and uh, gets out, goes to, I think, Glasgow University, starts writing, uh, writes a novel, I think, called HMS Ulysses about his experiences, which sells very well, but doesn't get made into a film. And then The Guns Are Never Own, which... Yeah invents, I think it invents the genre. It may well do. I can't think of one beforehand. Um, you just said Commander movie. I say action movie. I think when you watch, uh, you know, all of these later big 80s, you know, that, that, I mean, there are elements of Rambo in this. Interestingly, one of the things we keep seeing in, in these films from the 60s is that you've got people, actors who were in the films who had been in the war. David Niven was in the Commandos. Yeah, yeah. Um, David Niven's war... We don't know a huge amount about, amount about it. He basically never talked about it. The bit that I do know about is that when they are first set in the commandos up in 1940, they get Niven at that point is in a transport company and he's looking for some action. So he'd been a, a, a an officer in the early 30s, um, is training, I think, somewhere like Malta or maybe Gibraltar and is bored out of his mind with the peacetime army and uh, essentially goes AWOL, sends a letter from his ship to... America resigning his commission, makes his way to Hollywood, becomes a huge star. The day war breaks out. Back he comes. Uh, yeah. Back he comes, because what he joined the army for yeah. was action. And yeah. now finally he's getting some. There's a, Churchill said to him, it's a very brave thing that you did, young man. But had you not done it, it would have been contemptible. It, it has, <laughs> um, and uh, and is assigned to the transport corps and then hears the commandos are being set up and knows that's his sort of thing. Yeah. And the man who's... Setting up the commandos, um, Lieutenant Colonel Dudley Clark, now made famous by Dominic West in SAS Rogue Heroes, yeah. um, who is the most tremendous star fucker <laughs> uh, and just loves a bit of Hollywood glamour. Yeah. Um, you can see completely why they, he... Uh, David Niven. David Niven. I'll have, yeah. I'll have David Niven. And in, in Clark's memoirs... Everyone else is referred to by their surname. Yeah. Niven is always David. Oh, David said to me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But he was a commando and we don't know what he did. Yeah. We don't exactly know what he did, but he was, I think, certainly adjacent to people who were doing... uh, But but this also takes into the other weird thing about sort of 1960s war movies, I think, that you've got lots of people in these movies who themselves had served in the war. But by the 60s, they're 15... 20 years. Well, a little bit too old. Yeah. So you sometimes get around it by, you know, people that were junior officers or soldiers playing more senior officers. But then you get things like this where, I mean, this man is just, he's just too old to be, I'm sorry, he is just too old to be doing this. Well, Anthony Quayle, who is in this as a major working with partisans in Greece, Anthony Quayle in the war was a major in the SOE working with partisans in Yugoslavia, I think. So, yes, and he's now 15, this is 1961 this film is made. So he's 17 years on, 16, 17 years on, yeah. Yeah, and like all of us, uh, he doesn't look like he did 16, 17 years ago. I mean, this is an interesting question, actually. To what extent is our mental image of the war that it's being fought by men in their 40s, when, in fact, obviously, the, the people you want 
charging up beaches are, are young men well, in their but, early but that, 20s that, who that, could do that. I mean, I can't, I can't yeah. run half a mile without twisting my ankle, Duncan. Yeah, but that's, How am I going to fight a war? But that's exactly, but, that, but that's continued much later. You look, you know, made in the late 90s, you look at um, Saving Private Ryan. With Tom Hanks, right? How old is Tom Hanks when that's made? Tom Hanks is in his mid forties when that's played. Right. Um, you know, your, your typical U.S. Army captain is going to have been twenty-one, twenty-two. Um, you know, he's t- but so yeah. This this using so actors they're sitting around thinking about their wife's hands, are yeah, they? Yeah, there, exactly. that, <laughs> working in the garden. No, that. Yeah. The, I mean, these walls were fought by much younger men. <laughs> well, so, yeah, you look at the demographics of Russia and Ukraine, and you look at the pictures of the people on the front line. I mean, that's sort of a nineteen sixties to nineties. Hollywood view of war. It's, it's it's older people fighting the war. In the Second World War, it is generally much younger men. You say there is no character development. Uh, <laughs> I have a I have a desire, watching this, I had a desire to write a book called Management Secrets of the Guns of Navarone. Because <laughs> I think that Gregory Peck might be just... He's the boss. He's, he's the dad you want, frankly, isn't he? I mean, yes. <laughs> The dad slash commando unit commander you want. Yes, well, he's going to get you through it. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's going to make the tough decisions, and yeah. he's secretly a little bit compassionate. Yeah. But he's got to be tough on the outside. Okay, look, I'm not saying there's no character development, but the character development that there is is sort of telegraphed well in advance. You know, it's, it isn't, but this isn't, but that's not what this is about. This isn't a film about, you know, following some individual characters and seeing them grow as mm. people. This is a film of daring do and commandos on a you know do or die near impossible mission. Yes, fair enough. There's a, I mean, at the end of it, Niven... I mean, there isn't much com- there isn't much character development in Rambo, but it's still a good movie. <laughs> um, uh, Gregory Peck's character Mallory speaks uh, Greek like a Greek and German like a German. Uh, Gregory Peck, in fact, spoke neither Greek nor German, and, and I think his German had to be dubbed because it was so bad that he, spe- he speaks German like an American. Yeah, yeah. Um, James Robertson Justice intro. What the hell is going on with the, the start of this film? Yeah, I mean, so it's... it's <laughs> I mean, just, just step back for a second, right? So it's, it's a... You know, you're setting a commando film in World War II, and it's, you know, it's a film which was based on a novel... It's it's a straight, you know, and they've made up the island and they've made up the operation. Mm. But it is sort of based in a real campaign um, from 1943, which is an odd one to pick for film. So, so the um, Dordecanese campaign. It's Tell us about the Dordecanese okay, okay, campaign. Dordecanese, it, it, if, it, you, if you <laughs> insist. So, um, so it's 1943. Britain and America have jointly invaded Sicily. You know, they, yep. they've North Africa's the Germans, done. Yeah, driven, driven the Germans out of North Africa. And then they've invaded Sicily. And then yeah. after Sicily, they've invaded the Italian mainland. And Churchill is still talking about the sort of soft underbelly of Europe. And the idea is, you know, we don't need to open this massive second front, front in France with D-Day. We can just sort of push up through the Mediterranean, through Italy. Now, Italy turns out not to be a soft, not a soft underbelly, not at, underbelly all. at all. <laughs> it turns out, in fact, to be a really long peninsula with lots of easily defendable hill and mountain ranges neatly spaced out all the way up. So, you know, by the end, it just becomes this sort of, you know, Really, a, a terrible bloodbath for the Italian campaign, yeah. which really goes nowhere. But so, by once the troops are in Italy and fighting their way up the peninsula, the Americans now are very concentrated on okay, now it's time to do the actual proper 
second front in Europe that we've been promising the Russians for years, which means a cross-channel invasion into France. I mean, they've been gung-ho on this one since 42. The, the, yeah. the Americans yeah. the Americans turn up in the war and think, we could just go across there. That's, yeah, exactly. How so, far is that? Yeah. <laughs> and the British are sort of like, well, actually, are we quite done in the Mediterranean? Maybe. Maybe we could do something interesting in the Greek islands around Kos, around Leros, Rhodes, all of that. Take those islands and maybe, maybe we could draw Turkey into the war on our side. Then maybe we could go in via Greece and the Americans sort of say, okay, 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 okay. If you want to do that, be our guests, but we are really not going to help on this one. And the result is what's often described as the German army's last significant victory in the West, <laughs> uh, when the British go off, and actually with some Italians as well, who've switched sides by now, um, to try and do this campaign. And, you know, you end up with about over 3,000 British people being ta- British soldiers being taken prisoner of war at Leros. It's, it's, it's ultimately a disastrous operation. This I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing the, how, how not talked about this one is. I mean, no. we, sort of, we talk about other people sort of, uh, you know, writing their defeats out of history and, and the British liking a good defeat. And, yeah. You know, Market Garden and so on. But actually... I, no, I, no, it's a, I had to check that the Dodecanese campaign had happened. Yeah, so it's sort of like the unfortunate two sentences, last major independent British operation of the war, last significant German victory in the world. So I've seen, I've seen Alamein described as the last independent British operation of the war. Yeah, yeah. Because, because that's how forgotten yeah. um, something that happened a year later, a year later really was. Um, can we talk about the practicality of superguns in World War II? How big are these guns? Um, the, the, okay, these so are the, these, are, these are fictional guns, but they're big guns. They're, they're really big. And of course, you know, in the end, you know, the weird thing is that, you know, Britain, you know, over 3,000 Brits end up going into captivity on Leros. And this film is sort of set up on, well, the Royal Navy can get them out, except for these really big guns. Now, in the end, yeah. the Royal Navy just couldn't get them out. The, 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 the Leros the guns. guns are not as big as the guns yeah. of Navaroni. No, no. The guns, yeah, the guns of Navaroni are... Um, I think we should probably call it Navarone. I think it's Navarone. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the guns of Navarone. Um, yeah, so these are, in theory, guns large enough to prevent the Royal Navy operating anywhere in the area. I mean, these, these, are, these are just fictional guns, though. Because, I mean, these, going back to parallels, you know, we talked about Rogue One. These are Death Star guns. I mean, that's what we're talking about in this film. Except that the Germans don't, the Germans in real life, the Germans don't have the sort of the... the the manufacturing infrastructure to service these kinds of guns. So they made a couple of huge super guns, yeah. and I think one of them gets fired once. Yeah, and you can you you sort of you can use them in a siege against a city. Yeah, because and cities also, don't it, it, move. And like, if the German war economy in 1942, 1943, 1944, this film set sort of 43, did have the capacity to manufacture these super guns, you're not shoving them on an obscure yes. island in the eastern Mediterranean at that point. When you can sail around the other side, that's yeah. my other question. Why, why don't you just sail around the other side of the island? It's an island. I, I, I feel... All of that set up at the beginning of the film, there is a huge dose of suspend your disbelief. People are going to have to climb up cliffs. They're going yep. to have to lay explosives. There's going to be lots of daring do. Don't ask why they've got to do this. Just they've got to do this. So very often with these films, we talk about the first first half hour dragging a bit. What's the moment of this film where you wouldn't, where you, if you come in and you, you just sit down? I mean, I would say any moment when Gregory Peck broods in silence. Yeah. Slight I mean- Gregory Peck thing going on here. Like, <laughs> Never seen him in something I didn't. I wasn't didn't oh. have a little bit of a crush on him. But. I'm making a note for future Gregory Peck films. We can uh, we can talk about. No, I mean I 
honestly, I just think it works. It's it's a thriller. It's a caper movie. It's a commando movie. There is no, I mean, like the climbing the cliff face scene is fantastic. Yeah, um, unloading the boat. I think you could have cut. I think you could have cut a couple of minutes from unloading the maybe, boat. Maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe. <laughs> but it's tight. It's but, but because it's a storyboard of action sequences. And, yes. just, and, and, and the little gaps between the action sequences are fine. You can go make a cup of tea or whatever. But you're sitting down to watch action sequences done with actors rather than CGI. And actually, well, you say in between the action sequences you're going to make a cup of tea, but actually in between the action sequences you've got David Niven and Gregory yeah. Peck. And yeah. you've, got, you've got people who, who can hold yeah. a movie. Uh, you know... Uh, um, Oh, what's his name? The actor Stanley Baker. Stanley yeah. Baker, who plays, who is, who is at this point one of the biggest stars in British cinema, taking a minor role. You know, he's yeah. two years away from Zulu, but but he was. It was basically him and Dirk Bogard, the your sort of leading men. Yeah. Um, and he takes a minor role because he just likes the script so much. So yeah, so so you've got you. There's proper heft, and actually, again, that's sort of that cinematic idea that what we're going to do is we're not just going to have a star and some supporting actors, but we're going to have a whole load of guys, any one of whom can can hold a movie on his own, and we're going to put them all on together, and then we're going to kill half of them. <laughs> <laughs> the Climb, uh, which they filmed, you, you can sort of tell actually that they filmed it flat. And yeah. They're all they're all they're all crawling along the floor, um, but it's but, you know, but it's, it's, but it's exciting. Than, yeah, it's done better than a nineteen sixties Batman episode, <laughs> which was always you know <laughs> with the rope walking the buildings. But no, I think the I think the climb works and. Yeah, I mean, I think climb is possibly my favourite scene. All of that, actually, that is good. That is exciting. Yeah, I will, and uh, and and his relationship with um, with Anthony Quinn is is yeah. complicated. You know, would you, again, that's not in the book. This idea that this idea that after the war he's going to kill him. Yeah, um, and is he going to kill him now? And uh, and so on and so forth. I mean, yeah. that's as close to character development as you get. I and mean, it tells yes. you, you know, it tells you a lot about the film that the character development is is one of these people going to kill one or the other. Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> I don't know. I think any 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 war film where Sten guns are fired from the hip, yeah. Uh, there's a part of me that feels that, that the Sten gun, which is not an accurate weapon at the best of times, it, it, you've got to give yourself your best shot. You've got yeah. to aim. <laughs> fired but, from but, the hip. But, no, but, but, you can fire that from a hip at a, an entire German platoon and you're missing all of them. But, but it looks cool. It looks cool. This really is a film with rule of cool over, um, over anything else. It's, also, it's just stylish as well. It is, and they look good. So, so Gregory Peck gets off this plane from Crete, where apparently he's he's been a resistance fighter, looking like he's walked off the set of Ocean's Eleven. Yeah, it's, exactly, it's sort of... exactly. And Anthony Quinn is also they're wearing ties. They, you're, yeah. you're putting on a tie to go yeah. and shoot the enemy because that's uh, none of your rogue heroes, scrappy beard <laughs> nonsense here. <laughs> no, it's a well turned out commando unit, best dressed commandos in the med. Um. She's not so dumb. There are women in this film. Yes, it's a film with women in it. Yep, yep. Major characters. They, you know, they matter. They matter the plot. They were men in the book, obviously. Were they? Yes. I've not read the books. So hang on, hang on, hang on. So the, the original book, it is just men. It is just men in the book. Yes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, 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 so interesting. So, they made the decision yeah, to actually right. put so, women so in. So there you are. So there is somewhere where in the 1950s, 60s, somebody's saying, do you know what? Two of these characters could could be women. Yeah. And that would be fine. And actually, maybe, you know, that would that would spice things up. But the bit. dynamics would feel really different if they were yes. all men as well. Well, because the whole the whole issue with are they going to shoot Maria? Yeah. If Maria is a man. Oh, then you just shoot her. Yeah. And there's, there's no drama. Turn, turns out, turns out this person's an informer. Bang. Yes. But because it's a, yeah, okay. Go. Yeah, whereas whereas there is a thing, and I don't know if this is just as 
It is definitely a 1960s thing. I don't know if this is still true now, where, they, they, where they, you can see them all sitting there thinking, I can't shoot a woman. Yeah. And in fact, it has to be a woman who shoots the woman. Yes. Uh, I say, sorry, Maria no, Maria is not the traitor. Anna is the traitor. Uh, sorry. The, I mean, the, the, the don't, Greek you, one. Don't, don't shoot the wrong the one. one. Yes. <laughs> the, the Greek one and the other Greek one. Uh, so, yeah, so Maria is, Maria is, a, is a major character. Um, movie body count. Do you want to take a guess? Ooh, I'm thinking, I, my, on my preferred ratio of deaths per minute, I'm thinking probably one every three minutes or so. Higher. 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 Oh, are we one every two minutes? According to the internet, 170 people are killed in this. That's almost one a minute. <laughs> I, maybe that's probably above one a minute. It's not a three-hour film, is it? I think it's about two hours. But um, Okay, so we're over one death a minute. Yeah, I think an awful okay, lot, that, of, those, an an awful lot of... of them die with the guns. Yes, okay, okay. Well, so well, you, yeah, that, you, that doesn't you count. You probably get about 100 of them. I, yeah. I, so I don't, I don't know how reliable that, yeah. that internet character is. Um, Cooler King Award for the most gratuitous American character. It's got to be Gregory Peck. Yeah, well, yeah. A, yeah. He's a New Zealander in the book. Um, we never understand. We never get told why this American is in the commandos. Is in the commandos in, the commandos in, in Crete. I mean, there were Americans, but we don't need to know. Don't, this, is the, this is the point about this film. It doesn't matter. I mean, he walked in. They saw the suit. They said, yeah, yeah. "You can go to Crete." <laughs> did the film do well in the states? I think the film did well everywhere. I yeah, think it was okay, a, a big yeah, hit. It worked. Worked. <laughs> um, introducing people in a tiny parts who went on to be a legend. I mean, Richard Harris is the, and he's a slightly blink and you'll miss him. But he is the RAF, uh, the Australian RAF commander at the start who wants to throw James Robertson justice out of a plane. I hadn't actually noticed that. Yeah, okay. So okay. that's Richard Harris, who bona fide, bona fide going to be a star. Yeah. Um, bona fide, not a star at this point. Um, he's bought it, Sarge, for the best death. It's between... Oh, yeah, you've got so you've got a lot of competition this time. Well, I think it's between Spiro and Stanley Baker. Yeah, and this is a I mean, harder you, one. Am I to, missing anyone? No, no, but this is this is a harder one to award in a film like this, where you know fundamentally this is close knit unit, and we know half of them are going to die, and because half of them are going to die, sort of part of the genre is they get a good cinematic death, and you know yeah. we can all we can all be quiet for a moment, reflect on their death, and then move on to the next bit of action. I mean, or you can have Anna. You can have. I mean, you can have any of them. I, I'm inclined to give it to Spiro. I don't think you can give it to Anna. It's it, it's it's a big moment in the film. And it's it's good drama, but it's not it's it's not in the spirit of your award. I don't think we ever quite understand why it is that Stanley Baker has decided he's had enough of stabbing people in 1943. No, I mean, he, he, he was fine with it in yeah, 1942. 1942, fine. 1941, <laughs> fine. don't mind stabbing people. <laughs> right, that's 1943. Suddenly, I've had it. I've yeah. enough with the stabbing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, whereas. Equally, I mean, I don't think we quite understand why it is that Spiro decides to charge down a German platoon firing his Sten gun from the hip, except that we're told he forgot why we came here. <laughs> <laughs> Which is supposed to be, oh, right, he just hates Germans, yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah. That's, um. Um, because the storyboard said there needs to be a character charging, firing a Sten gun, gun from the hip, the hip at a platoon. Yeah. <laughs> the um, nastiest Nazi. It goes to the SS man. There's yeah, well, yeah, a, there, yeah. yeah. I mean, look, this, this award is easy. If there is an SS man or failing that a Gestapo man, it's probably going to be them. Yeah. But in this case, it definitely fits. Yes, he will torture you. And we, we, we're, we're yeah. told, you know, he's sort of introduced to his offset. I'm, I'm the one who's just going to ask you. Yeah. Out there, I've got somebody who will torture you. And, yeah. in, and indeed he does. Judgment at Nuremberg. How many war crimes are committed in this film, do we think? So the team's operating out of uniform? 
Yeah, yeah, that, uh, yes, they, yes. I don't think... No, I don't think that's technically a war crime, but I think it means they can be shot as spies. Right. I think it's basically pretty, they, they give up their protection when they take off the... Pretty confident that they're not taking prisoners. No, 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 no. So, no not a question of it, no. Um, so that moment where, for instance, you know, they, they surround the Germans uh, yeah. to take their truck... And we never see those Germans again. No, no, so <laughs> con- conveniently. Maybe they're tied up in a cage And now they have a truck. <laughs> yeah. On the other hand, the Germans are torturing prisoners. So, yeah, yeah, you know. yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a nasty war on this fictitious little island. Broadsword Radio. Let's talk about completely implausible moments. Right, so I have questions about the scars on Anna's back. Go on. Right. Anna hasn't spoken since she was tortured. Yeah. And nobody's seen the scars on her back. We yeah. know that because there are no scars on her back. And yet, somehow, they know that she has scars on her back. How do we know that there are scars on Anna's back, which, in fact, there aren't, if she, has, if she hasn't spoken since she got back? Yeah, I don't think we do at all. I think this when they were doing their storyboard between action sequences, <laughs> I think some important bits of plot I sort think, of I think that in a 1960s way, they storyboarded, we can rip the woman's dress from behind. Yes. And that's, you know, yes, I think in 1961, go. that's sort of, hoo-hoo. Oh, and there are no scars. <laughs> yeah, ah, now we know. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, but, you know, I, that's not a bad one to focus on. But I think if we're really looking for implausible moments in the film, we start with the massive guns. Right, we start with <laughs> the massive guns. Of the piece <laughs> of the film. We could also talk about um, radio. What do we think voice radio range is in the war at this point? For a sort of man-portable pack. So, where, where, where measuring... A radio that I can carry on my boat or in my rucksack with which I can talk to James Robertson Justice 400 miles away. Yeah, I mean, you're going to need a bigger boat <laughs> at, that, <laughs> at that point to get your to get your radio. So no, yes, fair. And it's a, it, this is an Alison McLean trope because they have this in... The reason we call this broadsword radio is we have this in Where Eagles Dare where they're calling from somewhere yeah. in central Germany back to London. Yeah. You know, with something that Richard Burton is carrying. Yeah. Yeah. They're not. They're, they're, they, the batteries can't do it and the... Yeah. Yeah, that's not happening. On the other hand, their radio codes... So, on the one hand, you might feel that their radio codes... So, for instance, Indians on the warpath, a completely unbreakable code <laughs> that no German listening to that is ever... What could Indians on the warpath be? What can, what can this mean? That's, um, <laughs> D-Day has been moved to X minus one. Again, it's just... <laughs> <laughs> but in fact, that's exactly how bad British voice radio codes were in the... <laughs> So there's an awful lot of this in uh, slightly earlier, admittedly, but one of the ways that Rommel is uh, able to uh, outwit the British um, in North Africa is because he has a really, really good radio listening team, yeah. and they're good at code breaking and they're good at sort of they're good at intercepting um, yeah. Morse code transmissions. But they're also really, really good at uh, intercepting daft tank commanders saying things like. Cast a shoe, heading back to the pavilion. <laughs> <laughs> and other, other, other completely impenetrable codes. Tremendous. <laughs> Famous last words. Best lines from this. There's always some way to blow up explosives. The trick is not to be around yeah. when they go off. Yeah, that's, 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 <laughs> open and closed, open and closed. Well, actually, the other one I like is with every one of us a genius. How can we fail? <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't mind that as a meme. Yeah, as Again. bad to ask, you haven't requested one yet. Yes, that's, no. that's my, my meme request. It's quite early on. With every one of us a genius, how can we fail? Yeah. yeah I, I, actually, even I can see many uses for that. <laughs> <of the cells now. laughs> um, 
David Niven nearly, nearly died making this film. Go on. So at the end, when they're, they're, they're yeah. sort of the filming, um, the uh, the bit where he's standing in a pool of water planting the explosives, yeah. he contracts some kind of infection or other, and they have to start. The, he goes into hospital, and they have to start shooting around the idea that he might die for real, and oh. they might they might have to do it all again with a different character or without him, or just have him not there at the end. Um, and it's tremendous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're making a film, you're like, you know, well, well, bad news about David. What's the contingency plan? <laughs> so, you, so it wasn't even like a dramatic on-stage accident or anything. No, it was just, 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 just. Well, I mean, you know, just standing in cold water for a long time is bad for you. I think he and Gregory Peck were drinking quite a lot to stay warm. Yeah. yeah. Why they couldn't warm the water up? I think I, I feel this is never a reminder that you know David Niven did serve in the war, but this was filmed a good twenty years yes. later. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I mean, I imagine commandos had to spend more time. He in wasn't cold a water. young man when he served in the no, war either. No. So, <laughs> Duncan, is this the operation that changed the course of World War Two? No, and this one, even on its own terms, you know, it's based on a real campaign, and the whole premise of the film is we're going to go and blow up these guns, and that's going to let us get the boys out. I mean, there weren't even those, those guns didn't exist, and they didn't get the boys out. Free, over three thousand prisoners of war taken in this campaign. Worth dying for. Does it stand up? Guns on Never Own? Guns on Never Owny? For- I was... So I was really curious when I came to rewatch this one. Because this is a film I must have seen, I don't know, three times. Haven't seen it in quite a long time. And I sat down not quite knowing what to expect and wasn't as familiar with it as I have been with some of the other films I've rewatched this. And it just works. It just as, a, as an action movie, it just works. I think my children came in while I was watching this and sat and watched some of it. My children basically hate all of these films. And the, narratively, they, if, you're, if you're the Avengers generation, the, yeah. the, 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 the story, the pacing, none of it quite works. There, there are lots of slow bits in this. Yeah. Uh, and there's lots of slow bits and talking and, you know, and the sort of the, the excitement of, oh, well, we're going to blow up a Nazi boat um, yeah. and that sort of thing doesn't keep them going. Long. In the same way as it did for you and I. <laughs> yes, well, we had, we'd, uh, you know, we'd, we were just grateful yeah. <laughs> to, be honest, to be allowed to watch a film on Sunday <laughs> afternoon. Do you think it holds up? I do, yes. I mean, of, of if, if you said to me, oh, well, you're going to watch this again, I would be like, oh, that's fine. You know, yeah. I, I could just, as I say, I could watch Gregory Peck. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, do you have posters of Gregory Peck at home, Rob? <laughs> I, well, I love him in his To Kill a Mockingbird. Yeah. You know, I, he, he's, all, he's all that's good in the world. <laughs> and actually, I can't watch, I can't watch him sitting, listening to his children talk about their mother having died without crying. Yeah. That's how good he is. Yeah. That in To Kill a Mockingbird, which we probably will not be doing in this podcast series, <laughs> uh, unless things go, go very wide. Mm. But that's how good an actor he is, he is that, that you can just watch him listening and you can feel his grief. But would you like this film if Gregory Peck wasn't in it? Is what I'm trying to get at here. Well, we'll have to do Force 10 for Navarone, which Gregory Peck isn't in, and which <laughs> I, I genuinely have not seen for 40 years. So I, I would be curious to know how that, one, how that one stands up. This has been The Guns of Navarone. I'm Rob Hutton. It's still not clear whether Duncan Weldon is going to kill me at the end of this series. That was A Pod Too Far with me, Robert Hutton, and Duncan Weldon. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe, and if you liked it, rate and review us. You can drop us a line at podtoofar at gmail.com or on Twitter at podtoofar. If you want to watch along with us, 
next time we're going to be flying in low with the Dambusters. Busters.